Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. No, instead, he, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. And by taking on, by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's a poem, and I didn't write it. That poem was written by the Apostle Paul, whom God used to write a large part of what we call the New Testament of the Bible. And it's a poem that expresses who Jesus is and and how to respond to him. In essence, that poem summarizes the gospel, which is the seed of the Christian faith. And it it was the view contained in those, what are 85 Greek words, about 123 uh, English words that I I just recited. And it's those words that got Paul thrown in the jail from which he wrote them, or, or the idea in those words that got him thrown in jail. See, the reason that this caused such a stir is because he was espousing not just conversion to a new religious commitment. No, see, Paul was was driving at citizenship in a greater kingdom. And and so that poem is more like the Pledge of Allegiance than just some piece of poetry. And the result is that Paul is viewed as someone spreading disloyalty to the emperor in the day in which he lived. And so from a jail cell under, under one of Caesar's palaces, he wrote that poem as part of a letter to some very special friends, the church at Philippi. Philippians is a thank you note. It's a, it's a thank you note for the gift that Paul had received during his imprisonment, the way that they had helped care for him. We'll see that more in the coming weeks. But it's also an instruction manual of sorts for maintaining that attitude of Jesus in the midst of great difficulty. You see, Paul, again, he's writing from prison, and the people he's writing to, the Philippians, they themselves are dealing with persecution as a result of this commitment to a whole different kind of loyalty. And so in this series, we're going to take the entire letter into account. We're in this new series, The Search for Happiness. We're going to take the the entire letter into account, but I want to focus in over the course of these next few weeks on the tail end of the letter. And and the reason is, is that it gives us a helpful summary of the whole letter 
and it's going to guide us to the key insights of the letter. But I want to spend extra time considering it because it homes in on something that we're all seeking and can seem especially elusive. You've already seen it, right? It's happiness. Well, we, all want, we all want to be happy. But happiness can be elusive. And, and there's all kinds of traps that we fall into as we seek it. And so in the Bible, the word is often joy. When we talk about happiness, you see the Bible, often the word that is used is joy. And again, depending on what translation, they may use different words. It's not so important that we distinguish between these words. Okay, we're not going to sit here and play goalie on, oh, you said joy instead of happiness or, or back and forth. That, that's not the importance. The important thing is that we clarify the idea. When we, we speak biblically of this idea of happiness or joy, what are we really getting at? And so that's why in our search for happiness, we're going to focus on other words like contentment and gratitude, thankfulness. Because all these things are bound up in what biblically we, we need to understand about what it means to be happy. And so today what I, I simply want to do is introduce this famous statement that, uh, at least part of it, you're probably well familiar with. Um, but it's a, a statement that really anchors Paul's conclusion, the way he, he wraps up this letter from prison to the Philippians. And, and it's uh, an anchor for the happiness that God intends for his people to have in Christ. And so Philippians 4, 12 through 13 tells us this, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, that's the part maybe you've heard. But, but notice what he says. He says, content with a little or a lot, well-fed or hungry, in abundance or need, Paul has learned the secret to being happy in any and all circumstances. And that secret has everything to do with the poem that we've already heard. And we'll look more in depth at the secret itself next week. But today what I want us to see is how he came upon this secret. How, how, how did Paul learn the secret sauce to happiness? And how can we learn that as well? Okay, so first off, just like Paul, we gain eternal happiness through Jesus' experiences. Okay? We gain eternal happiness through Jesus' experiences. So years after writing this letter, Paul is once again in jail. Okay? He spent a lot of time there. Um, and he's going through a series of trials. In this case, it's, it's actual like legal trials. He, he's been through a number of them. He's been in, in jail for many months, turning into years. Uh, he's been seen by multiple Roman governors of Judea. And now the governor, his name is Festus. It's his turn. And Festus is getting annoyed with Paul because Paul's just, you know, smart and faithful and committed and all these annoying things. And, and, and so in this case, then, he's enlisted the help of the Jewish king, Agrippa. So, so Festus has responsibility for certain things as a Roman governor. And then there's this Jewish king, Agrippa, and he has certain responsibilities. They're all serving at the emperor's delight, okay? They, they serve the emperor. And I want to just drop you into the proceedings. Just, just know that that's kind of what's going on here. And we'll drop you in. Acts chapter 26, and Paul's talking. It says, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. Okay, I think this is really fascinating that Paul's in prison, and yet Festus knows this guy just, he just sits and studies, and, and that again, that's annoying to Festus. 
But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows that these ma- knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him. For I'm convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. Okay, I want you to notice. I mean, I tried to draw your attention to it, but what does he say? Look, Festus, I'm talking to Agrippa about this because this was not done in a corner. I'm going to talk to him about what's just happened with Jesus because I know people have been paying attention. And the point I want you to see, right, is according to Paul, the poem of Philippians 2 is no nursery rhyme. Right? It's not simply meant to teach a moral lesson. What Paul is saying there and here to, to Festus is in essence that Philippians 2 talking about who Jesus is, what he's done. It is a poetic recounting of a historical fact. Paul's not just, this is why Paul's life has been changed. I mean, it's been radically changed, and it's not changed because he preferred one religious approach over another. It's changed because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus took place in history, and Paul has had to deal with that reality. So you may not believe that. You may not yet have come to an understanding where you see the same things, see things the same way that Paul does. But don't put him and don't put Christianity in this category of just philosophical ideas because that's never what has been espoused. What's always been claimed is that we are responding to something that has taken place historically. And so Paul's desire for that audience is the same as it is for us, that we would become as he is, that we would gain access to lasting happiness. How? Through Jesus, through what Jesus has gone through, what he's done. And so he says about himself in Philippians 4.10, right before what I already read to you, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. In the Lord is where this lasting happiness is found. He says multiple times, he talks about the importance of rejoicing or of joy in the Christian life throughout the book of Philippians, this this letter. But it's joy in the Lord. It's, It's joy that's based on the objective historical work of Jesus. And so in the Lord is where lasting happiness is found. And we take hold of that happiness by faith. By, by trusting Jesus that this is the way things are. That he, what he has done, he really did. And then what he offers, we, we really can have access to it. We take hold of it by faith. But an important distinction here is that having that happiness and using it are not the same. They, they don't, one doesn't naturally mean the other is taking place, which is why Paul tells the Philippians a little earlier in chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. If they just would have happiness and then be joyful, whatever the situation, and there was no question about it, there's no need to remind them. 
Rejoice. Rejoice. See, happiness is a choice. And just as we gain it by faith, we, we choose it by faith. And so how do we learn to choose happiness? How do we learn to make use of the happiness that we have been given? And if you're here, you say, yes, I've trusted Jesus. Then you've been given happiness. You've gained access to happiness. But how do we use it? How, how do we follow this instruction to rejoice in the Lord? Well, just like Paul, we not only gain access through Jesus' experience, also like Paul, we train for happiness through our experiences. Jesus' experiences are what makes happiness possible. Again, objectively, historically, it's his experience that makes happiness possible. But we train for happiness through our own experiences. Before I show how that works, I want to ask the question, why? I mean, I've just said there's a difference between having happiness and utilizing the happiness, actually living out the happiness. But, but I think it's important to ask, why should we have to learn happiness? Right? Why, if it's something that we have, is it something that we have to choose? Right? There's certain things, if I just have it, then it's just there. Right? If I, if I, just, I just have this thing and, and it just shows up, and, and I think we tend to think of happiness in that way. We either have it or we don't. Right? If I'm happy, then I'll be it. Right? If I don't, I won't. If I'm happy, then you'll know it. Right? My face will surely show it. Right? Those are the kinds of things. That, that's just how we imagine happiness to be. Right? If I'm happy, it's going to be obvious. And, th- and there shouldn't be any work involved. There should be no choosing. It's just, I'm happy. And if today I'm not, then I'm just not. And you know, that, that's just the way it goes. But what if we thought of happiness differently? What if we thought of it as something that we are entrusted with and must be managed? What, what if happiness is actually a stewardship of sorts? Years ago, I watched a, a short documentary. It was maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes. But the documentary outlined the difference between two extravagantly wealthy families of the early 1900s. These two, I mean, like rich upon rich, richy rich type rich, okay? A lot, a lot of money, both of these families, one in the U.S., one in Europe. And for one, their wealth had only lasted for a couple generations, just, just a few generations. Again, massive wealth, but it only lasted for a few generations. But for the other, their wealth has endured to this day. What was the difference? What was the difference between the two? I mean, we could probably identify a few different things, but simply stated, the family whose wealth endured gave their kids responsibility to manage their money. They entrusted their kids with the responsibility to manage the money. They set things up such that if you are part of this family, you're going to learn to manage the wealth that was the family's, but the other did not. I mean, it really does boil down pretty, pretty simply that way. And in the same way, if we've trusted Christ for new life, then our, our experiences, us going through the, the daily stuff, those experiences are opportunities to manage the treasure of happiness that we have in Christ. That's what God's doing, is he's training us through these experiences to manage this wealth of happiness that is ours. And so we're told elsewhere in James chapter 1, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, 
whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Okay. So what does that boil down to? Well, as we practice happiness, we grow up. We grow up, we mature in happiness. We, we get happier. I know that's, I mean, that's kind of like this real simplistic way to say it, but, but that's what's going on. As we practice happiness, we grow happier. And further, if you're like, well, I don't know, but think about the opposite, right? I think we know this practically because we know that the opposite is true. Right? If I'm grumpy, right? if I'm just Mr. Grumpy Pants all the time, okay, and I respond to all the things that come at me with grump, then what happens? I stay grumpy. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't sit there and, and, and act like grouchy all the time, and then suddenly, because I've just, I've really, I've crossed a threshold of especially grouchy, now I'm gonna be all of a sudden become happy. That's not the way it works. No, you, you just grow more grumpy. And we've seen, you've seen this, you probably know people, where just over time, it's not just grumpy, they just grow bitter and disengaged and I mean, it's far worse than that. We know it works in the opposite direction. And it works, it works in this direction as well. We train for happiness through our experiences. But another question, does learning through our experiences mean then that we have to endure the kind of experiences that Paul faced? I mean, here's Paul writing from prison and telling us, look, I've learned this and, and here's how I've learned do we have to go through everything that he went through? Well, again, you already know he's writing from prison, but he wrote often of his trials and in the midst of his trials. And, and so I've given you a few different references, but I just want to give you this one today. Here's Paul's outlining of the big picture of his experiences as a, a missionary of Jesus, as giving his life to see the gospel spread. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, five times... I received the 40 lashes, minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, danger, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, clothing, Popcorn, shrimp, pineapple, shrimp. He's, he's endured it all, okay? <laughs> Everything. Paul endured more than most of us can even begin to imagine. And so, on the one hand, I, I'm, I'm showing you that because here he is telling us about how happiness comes about. And if you're, if you're questioning his credentials, like he's just some happy guy telling everybody how to be happy then understand, he's, he's got some skins on the wall, right? I mean, if there's anyone who has reason to not be happy, he's in the conversation all time, right? Greatest of all time, goat of reasons to not be happy, okay? He's in that conversation. And yet, he says that through all of this, he's writing this letter who's I mean, through all of this, he writes this letter whose major theme is joy in the midst of suffering. So, again, back to the question. Do, do we have to 
go through these extreme experiences in order to be happy like Paul? My answer is no, I don't think so. But it's because Paul doesn't want that for you. Remember, he told King Agrippa that he wanted the king and everyone who heard him to become as I am. Except for what? Except for these chains. So Paul's not some masochist out here going, hey, everybody, jump on the suffering train with me. This is great. Some like impractical, unrealistic way of talking about this. No, he says, look, I've learned through all kinds of stuff. But I don't want this for you. At the same time, he doesn't want us thinking that our happiness is dependent on dodging the difficulty. That, that's, the, that's the distinction. He doesn't want you to have more difficulty. He doesn't want you to have the same difficulty he's had. He just doesn't want you and I thinking that the only way happiness in Christ actually works is if we go around everything that's hard. Because the happiness that's being offered through Christ is far greater than that. It's, it's resilient. It's able to walk us not just around things, but through them. Our happiness is eternal and infinite, in, infinite. And so when trouble comes, whatever experiences we face, they're an opportunity to use the wealth of happiness we've received. We have an opportunity to take this treasure and use it, whether we have a little or a lot, whether we are well-fed or hungry, in abundance or need. In God's hands, any and all circumstances are meant to teach us. And ultimately... Those circumstances are meant to make us more happy. One last question, just to make sure there's no misunderstanding. Okay. Make sure you don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. So do we just fake it if we're not feeling happy? Right. If I'm just, I don't, I mean, not feeling happy. I, there's real hard things going on, grievous things going on. If I don't act happy, right, I don't have a, smile on my face at all times? Am, am I doing something wrong? And, and if, is it possible to be happy in those situations? So am I simply saying that everyone, with or without Jesus, just needs to put on a happy face? I want you to listen to this story between Martin Luther, he was the spark of the Protestant Reformation, and his wife, after all that went down, his wife, Katerina. See, once when Martin, he, he struggled, he was doing all kinds of, you know, the Lord's work, major issues, all kinds of people upset with him. He suffered greatly. And so once when Martin was so depressed that none of Kate's counsel would help, she put on a black dress. And Luther noticed it, and, and he asked, are you going to a funeral? Um, and, and just so you know, Katerina von Bohr, who she was a former nun. Um, she was a, a hardy woman, and uh, she, didn't, she didn't take much, okay? So this is right... In her character, okay? Are you going to a funeral? No, Kate replied. But since you act like God is dead, I wanted to join you in your mourning. <laughs> Luther got the message, and he recovered. Please, folks, don't hear, like, again, this is just simple. But... If we have no reason for happiness, if Jesus is not all the things that Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says of him, then sure, we would be faking it, trying to muster something that doesn't exist. 
It might be helpful for a time, but it would be foolish, right? Because it's not, it's not going anywhere. But if Jesus is and has done all those things, and we have trusted him for the eternal happiness that he offers, then, then we are wisely simply tapping into an infinite account that really is ours in Jesus. And we're learning how to practice it. We're, we're practicing how to spend it for all of eternity. So I'd encourage all of us today, take stock. What gets in the way of joy for you? What circumstances tend to rob you of joy? When do you find that it's especially difficult to to be happy? We're going to look more into the details of how this all works, but, but think about those questions. And if the topic of suffering, just even bringing that up at all, if the topic of suffering is difficult for you to get your head around, and I, I think it, it really is difficult for every one of us, then I want to commend that video that's on your listening guide. You see it on the, the next steps. There's a little QR code. You can scan that with your phone. And I commend that video. That, it's part of a series of very helpful videos on that topic. Um, just in general, just you know, there are thoughtful answers to timeless questions. So don't let your questions rob you of joy. Lean into them. Actually track them down. But don't just get stifled because you think, well, I just got a question, and, and maybe nobody wants to answer it. Your questions don't, God's not upset. He's not bothered. He's not offended by your questions. He can handle it. And if you're here and you're not sure that lasting happiness has to be tied to Jesus, okay? Again, I'm not saying that if you don't know Jesus, then you're never happy, right? There's no happiness at all. That's all I'm saying. But, but I would have you consider, how does Jesus' offer of happiness stack up? How does what Jesus is offering stack up to the offers that you find, the ways that happiness is promised and delivered in, in other ways? You, you may not be sure yet if Jesus is God who emptied himself, humbled himself, and then walked out of the grave, bringing the gift of eternal happiness with him and offering it to us. You you may not buy into that yet. I understand that. But even if you're not yet sure if it's true, I I want you to ask you this. Would you want it to be? Would you want Jesus' offer to be true? I want to invite everyone to be back next week. Again, we're going to look at the secret of happiness. We're going to see in more detail how to cultivate contentment. I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to pray and continue to sing. And and again, think about those questions. What gets in the way of joy for you? What circumstances tend to rob you of joy? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. For Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be exploited like our grand ancestors Adam and Eve did. And because he was faithful to your original plan, he made it possible for us as humans to be brought in to your forever family and to gain access to an eternal happiness. Help us to learn to to spend that wisely, to face situations and, and, 
and empty our pockets with the, the knowledge of, of who Jesus is and what he's done and how that transforms our outlook. God, I pray that you would keep us, the people here, our, our church family, keep us from suffering. Lord, we don't, it's not the way things are supposed to be, but do help us, Lord, when we face it, when we face difficulty, to face it knowing that we have the riches of heaven at our disposal. We have the example of Jesus to lead us through. And we have the presence of your spirit to guide us and comfort us. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day.